each of us here who's a believer and has been led to the Lord by a choice vessel of the Lord are so grateful for that man or woman who invested in our lives, risked perhaps offending us, and told us about the Lord Jesus. And our lives as a result of coming to know him by faith are different. They've changed. I'm forever grateful. Almost every day I thank God for the person who led me to the Lord. His name is Mark. Mark Santo Stefano. Saint Stephen it means. From an Italian background. No real familiarity with Jews. We were stuck in a military barracks together. That's where I met this fella. And I knew a little bit about his reputation even before I met him. He uh, presented himself as a, uh, a spiritual guy, someone who liked to talk about God things. And people were not repulsed by it. He had good people skills, good listening skills. He was a relationship kind of a guy. And so his um, reputation was, was kind of a good one. Well, I met him. He initiated conversation, and we became friends, and he never said anything about spiritual realities to me for quite some time. We just became friends. We played tennis and ate pizza and did what, what friends do, and I had a chance to watch his life, and I remember how he, he took an interest in my life. You do this simply by asking questions of another person. It really wasn't that complicated or complex. He would just ask me questions. Stuart, what do you think about this? Stuart, how do you feel about that? Stuart, how does this uh, affect you? Just stuff like that. He would just draw me out and he would listen. You know, he would just make eye contact and nod his head as if uh, what I was saying was really important to him. That, that's what he did. And he lived the life in front of me and we developed a relationship and I, I practically one day had to jump out of my skin uh, to say to him, what makes you tick? Give me the answer. What is it with you? I remember saying to him, have you discovered some drug I don't know about? And he chuckled, he smiled, and he said, no, it isn't that. And he said, let me tell you my story. He used words I could relate to. He didn't say, let me witness to you and let me sh share with you my testimony. That all sounds like something you do in a court of law. I would have missed the whole significance of it. So he took an interest in my life, and he was very, very patient. He actually withheld the gospel from me. He told me this sometime after. He asked God to give him sensitivity to the timing of things. He was always ready and prepared to share the message of Jesus Christ and how to be reconciled to an otherwise unapproachably holy God through faith in his crucified, resurrected son. Oh, he was fully prepared uh, but he wanted to be sensitive to the timing thereof. And a month went by and two and three. We were three months into the relationship and I popped this question, what makes you tick? And then he said, let me tell you my story. That's how he put it. And he just began to share glimpses into his life he had not previously shared. He shared with me about his religious background. He was raised in, in a wonderful Catholic background, he had a very deep appreciation for the transcendence and greatness of God. The beautiful Catholic liturgy gave him that, but he said it didn't give me a notion of how to have a personal relationship with God. I didn't know how to come to him, know him in a personal way. And He began to tell me about his quest and how he found out about Jesus through his personal reading of Scripture and and how he knew he was faced with a decision one day 
to reject or accept what Christ had done for him. And he shared all this about how he was a university student when it all when it all came to pass, and I'm so grateful. He told me about the name of the person who was influential in his life, a fellow named Jeff. He was an Air Force pilot, and Jeff affected Mark and with the gospel message, and then Mark couldn't contain this. He spread the wealth, and in the military, he affected me. Mark affected me with the gospel message, and I'm so grateful that it wasn't an email. It wasn't something impersonal, something purely electronic, although we ought to make use of those things today. I don't think, in spite of the technology we have today, there's any substitute for sharing the gospel in the context of a relationship, in the context of a friendship. Some are very bold and they're, they're called to shout out to people about the Lord Jesus on the street corners and we ought to pray for them and thank God for them. But that's not all of us. Most of us do better in the context of a friendship with a neighbor, a coworker, a fellow student, a family member. There's a basis of trust already there. And if we're listening closely into a person's life, as did Mark, God will show us an opportunity to say, let me share this with you about that concern you just shared. And I'm so grateful for what Mark shared with me uh, in 1973. That's a long time ago. I tried to do the math, but the numbers got way too high. And I got saved, radically saved. That's for everyone who's saved. It's always radical. It's movement from darkness to light. It's being born anew. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And God used Mark. Uh, to my knowledge, he's not an angel. I, maybe he is. I don't know. But I don't think so. He looked far too ordinary to me. There was nothing unusually special about him. He was a flawed human being just like me. He wasn't big in stature and in intellect in any other way. He was just a normal person, ordinary, who came to meet an extraordinary savior, who wrought a change in his life that made his life explainable only in terms of what Jesus did for him. It wasn't attributable to anything else. And he told me this because he knew, though Jesus was so deeply personal to him, uh, Jesus would be personal to me, too, if I would invite him to be that way. And that's what he did. And I'm so grateful for Mark. He's a pastor. He's a pastor now. Mark was a witness for Jesus Christ. He knew that was his calling. He knew when he was saved, he got the promotion to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, to lost, I mean really lost people just like me. I must tell you in this confusing day when we're sort of gasping for air, maybe feeling like we're losing a hold on the country and all the rest. Folks, latch on to this, which is our primary identity, like Jeff, like Mark. Uh, we are all ambassadors for Christ, and there's a whole world of people out there who are dying without Christ. They need to know about him, and if we would just enter into relationship, maybe we could help. You know, uh, 
Uh, one time when I was pastoring another church, I asked the people to make, write down on a list the things they like to do. I was sneaking up on them. They didn't know this was to prepare them to do evangelism. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to sneak up on them. And so I said, can you just make write down the things you like to do? One lady said, I like to make ceramics. Another lady said, I'm a quilter. I like to do quilting. One guy said, I like slow pitch softball, you know, arc ball, that kind of deal. Another guy said, I like to play basketball. Basketball. I play in over 30, uh, he said I'm over 30, I play in an over 30 basketball league. One guy said I'm a, I, I like to bike, you know, I, I, I like to go on, another person said I'm, I'm a walker, I like to, I, I like to, you know, all this stuff, I wrote it all down. And I told them I want to challenge you to do those things out there in the community and thereby get to know people with whom you can share Christ. And so I refused to do anything in that church that was already being duplicated by the surrounding society. And so I'm not entirely against this, but at the time I said, we're not going to have a church bicycle team. We're not going to have a church softball team. I, 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 I don't want us to sponsor church ceramics or quilting. Why don't you take your quilting interest and skills and join the community quilting club? So I asked one of my ministers to do a survey of the community, find out absolutely every recreational, social, service, cultural activity in the area. You know, planting flowers, whatever the deal, collecting bees. Believe it or not, a lot of people do that. They're, they're, they're bee beehive people, whatever it is, whatever you like to do, we'll find a place for you in the community where you can sign up, join in membership, and ask God to give you a chance simply not to be an evangelist. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't even go in there with the intent of sharing the gospel. Can you just go in there with the intent of making friends with whom you have a common interest? We used to be good at this until we became Christians, and now we spend all our time with other Christians. How boring that is. In fact, one of the reasons why many of us can't lead a non-Christian to the Lord is that we're not spending any time with non-Christians anymore. All our time is spent in really good church activity, isn't it? Don't spend all your time in really good church activity. We're supposed to come here for the sole purpose of uh, uh, gathering together for mutual encouragement so that we could go out there and be salt and light. And it doesn't have to be by shouting the gospel out on a street corner. Don't put your, uh, yourself up to something that's contrary to the makeup wherein God has made you. What do you like to do? Why don't you just do it in a context where there are people who don't know the Lord? And maybe they ask you questions about your life. You, you ask them questions about their life and you have coffee together and you, you go to have pizza or something like that. And maybe someone shares one day, I'm so concerned. I missed last week because my wife is ill. And you say, ah, could I pray for your wife? And this person is amazed by that, that you think you have the capacity to come into the presence. You have this relationship with God. It's vibrant. It's present. It's current. You could just pause and pray. And they ask you about it. And you get to talk to them about your life in Christ. You get what I'm saying, folks? Let's not take the path of greatest resistance in sharing the gospel. Let's take the path of least resistance. It's with whom? Uh, you are already interacting. It's people in your sphere of influence. Let's just increase our sphere of influence so what we're doing is not so much in here, not all in here, but out there as well. I'm so grateful for Mark in a military barracks. It wasn't a church. I'm so glad for Mark who simply said, let's get some pizza. I'm so glad for Mark who said, do you want to play tennis? Remember when he said that? No, I said, no, I do not. 
He said, what do you mean? I said, we where I grew up, we don't play tennis. That's what rich kids did. I don't have to play tennis. He said, you want to learn? Yeah, I've learned how to play tennis. Why not? I'm so glad he did that. He just built a bridge. We just had fun together. Evangelism was always on his mind, but it never seemed to be a burdensome activity. He just knew that it was part of sharing lives with those who don't yet know the giver of life. I challenge you, figure out what you want to do. Sign up at the YMCA. Sign up in a, some community organization. Do something you want to do alongside those who don't yet know the Lord. In John's gospel, I know you're wondering whether I studied or not. I really did. <laughs> and all those thoughts have to do with the text. I was just stimulated through the uh, text to realize in John chapter 1, we've been spending some time there, there's a mention of four people who did what Mark did. Four people who were witnesses for Christ, and I wanted us to take a look at their lives. Don't misunderstand here. Uh, do you realize that people come to Christ through us, but not by us? That should take the pressure off of all of us. People come to Christ through us, meaning a very gracious and good father wants to give us the privilege of being useful to him for eternity. He wants to have us a, give us a great life's purpose. So he's given us the privilege of representing him. So people come to Christ through us, but not by us. We're the vehicle God uses, but we don't have the power to save anybody. Only Jesus does that. You see what I mean? So that should take the pressure off off of us. Well, I want to show you four people in John chapter 1 who felt this is true of them and that God would speak through them and use them as vehicles whereby others would come to know the Lord. Now, we've already been introduced to one of these four. His name is John the Baptizer. Notice how I changed it. We, we refer to him as John the Baptist, but some folk actually think that means he was a Baptist. Not a Methodist, he was a Baptist. I mean, I've run into some folks, I joke about it, but they really think he was a Baptist, like a denomination. So I've started to refer to John as John the Baptizer or John the Immerser, just to see. He, no, he, they didn't have the denominations like that in those days. And he pointed people to Jesus. In particular, this is what he said. It's recorded. We read this some time ago. John chapter 1, verse 29. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how John called people's attention to the Lord Jesus. He said, hey, 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 I don't know where you're looking. Look over there. See that one? Behold, he's the Lamb of God. Nobody did. He took away the sin of the world. That's what John the Immerser said. And one of those who John pointed to Jesus is someone named Andrew. We read about him previously in John chapter 1 verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So uh, John came to know the Lord and John helped Andrew Simon Peter's brother, to know the Lord. And Andrew pointed his own brother to Jesus. His brother is Peter. Andrew is the second witness for Christ in this text. First there's John the baptizer, and then there's Andrew. And it says in 
verses 41 and 42, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. You, you see, it was his sphere of influence. It wasn't cold turkey evangelism. There's a place for that, but I'm telling you, that's really the exception to the rule. Why not take the path of least resistance? Andrew had a brother. Why not tell your brother about the Lord? And that's, that's what he did. His brother was Peter. You know about him. He grew up to be the, one of the great leaders, did he not, in the early church. In fact, there are books in the Bible, letters in the New Testament, of which this Peter is the author. Andrew led someone to the Lord who came to be an inspired writer of Scripture. You read about Peter and how he preached to masses of people, thousands on different occasions. Andrew led Peter to the Lord. But as for Andrew, we don't have one New Testament letter written by him. We don't have one bit of evidence that Andrew ever preached to large numbers of people. In fact, the only time subsequent to John 1, we read of Andrew. The, the next is in John chapter 6, and he's bringing a young boy who had some loaves and fishes to the Lord. Then the next time we read about him is in John 12. And he's bringing some Greek-speaking people to the Lord. The only thing we know about Andrew is whenever we're reading about him, he's bringing someone to the Lord. Now, i got to tell you something. Andrew sort of had to take a back seat. He's always mentioned in the Bible as Simon Peter's brother. I don't think it bothered Andrew. I think Andrew knew what his lot in life was. He knew that as he was led to the Lord, his privilege was to point others to, to the Lord Jesus, and he just did it. You know, folks, you and I never know when God's going to use us in leading the next Peter to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be Peter, one like that. We don't have to be Billy Graham. One like that. We're not like those. But someone has to lead them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. And as we've been mentioning, God's methods are not computers alone. They're people. Eyeball to eyeball, relational exchange. And in that context, the one who knows the Lord speaks boldly and unashamedly about him to the one who doesn't. And there's a possibility that the one who doesn't will come to be one also who comes to know the Lord. And that one could be the next president. Well, maybe not the next, <clears throat> but sometime down the road, a president of the United States. I'm telling you, folks, what a grand, grand privilege. And so we read about the first witness, John the baptizer. We read about Andrew and, uh, you know, we're next in line. There's John, there's Andrew, and down to this very day, there's you and me. I try to remind myself that this is my primary and essential purpose in still being here on earth, and that is to direct people to the Lord Jesus that's my primary purpose and yours as well. But sometimes I'm not all that hot at it. And sometimes I'm not even that 
cognizant of it. So lots of people come into my frame of reference and I just, I don't know, I get busy and distracted and I don't think about their eternal situation. I don't think about whether they're saved or unsaved. I'm not proud of that. But so to help me, I uh, ah, just came up with 40 words. And uh, oh, look at this. Yeah, they're like these. And I memorized these. There's no magic in it. I didn't do it because I'm super spiritual. It's it's the opposite. I did it because I needed something I could just quickly uh, make recourse to to turn a conversation with someone in my sphere of influence to what really matters. And so I say to them, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I'm telling you, I get people's attention. They think it means I won the lottery or something. No, this is far better. I say, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. I don't want you to think again there's any magic. This is not a formula, nothing like that. I just did it because I need a way to have a conversation with somebody. I need a starter. It's just a starter. I can't tell you how many people will respond to this. All I have to say when I finish sharing this, well, I look to the response. If it's a blank stare, if it's, I don't know what it is, I say something as brilliant as this. So what do you think? That's all. I mean, it's not very smooth at all, but at least we're going in the right direction now. So what do you think? I mean, they're talking about the election just like we are. They're talking about sports teams just like we do. These, that's, that's okay. But you know, none of it matters. None of it matters. Where we are with the giver of life matters. What we've done with the Son of God matters. Our eternity hinges on it. So I turn conversation towards spiritual matters just with those words, and, and I've had such a wonderful response. I don't, in my presence, I haven't seen anyone after I recite the 40 words, fall to their knees and confess, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. No, 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 no. But remember, God saves people through me, not by me. I don't feel badly if that person doesn't, by my own wit and wisdom, accept the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel badly if that person doesn't ultimately get saved. But I'm thrilled I could be one link in the chain. I may not be the final link where you actually pray with someone. What a joy that is, as they're asking the Lord uh, to be their uh, savior, but, but just to be a link in the chain, just to say, oh God, today I functioned as you want me to. It's not to be a Democrat or a Republican. It's not to be Jewish or Gentile. It's not to be black or white. It's not to be older, young, male or female. These are all important uh, points of our identity. I'm not minimizing them, but I don't want to make any of these None of these should be the focal point of what we're all about. I'm telling you, having been saved, now our focus has to be on being witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of us here is one. Did you know that? Who's a Christian? Everyone is automatically a witness for Christ. The question is, are you a good witness? That's the deal. Are you an expert witness? You know what an expert witness is? Someone who has a specialty knowledge, particularly of the accused. 
Are we growing in intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ so we can really speak to people about the accused? He's accused of all manner of things and any attribution to the Lord Jesus less than who he actually is is a false accusation. To call him a good teacher is not good enough. <laughs> He's the son of God. You see what I mean? So we are, we're witnesses for the defense, not angrily, not in a nasty way, but we want to say that one who you have reduced to the status of being moral and ethical, he saved my life. Let me tell you how. Well, listen, if you're like me and don't know how to get a conversation started, I encourage you to memorize those 40 words. What if you get come up with only 39 or even worse, you add to it and get 41 somehow? It doesn't matter. Don't you see? It's just a gimmick. It's just a gimmick. There's no magic in it. Not at all. But it's a way to very quickly turn a conversation from good things to the best things. I want to be like John the baptizer. I want to be like Andrew. I want to be like Mark. I want to point people to Jesus. And you do too. You want them to find what you have found. Good night. If we had more politicians who were pointed to and knew the Lord Jesus, maybe we'd have different choices than we have today. I don't want to blame those who are running for election. I want to blame us. So much for the applause. <laughs> Folks, it's us. We're the sleeping giant. We're the change agent in society. It's not a political administration of any stripe. It's us. Something happens when you're moved into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Something happens. Your values mirror those of the one who saved you. How you get the mind of Christ. You're not better than anybody, but you get a better way. So, folks, um, this is our role to represent, to represent him. Through the centuries, this is how it has always worked. This is how most people come to faith. One person in their sphere of influence telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John led Andrew to Christ. Andrew led Peter to the Lord Jesus, and things still work this way today. A number of years ago, I ran off from New York. I literally did. Ran off to join the military. I was seeking after something. I didn't know it was a someone named Jesus. I didn't know. I was on the run, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And one of the crazy things I did was to join the military. And so I got into the military in 1973. And I want to show you a picture of our, our good crew in the media department can throw it up there. Uh, this picture was taken in 1975. They barely had photography in those days. And uh, all of us there are Air Force guys. We're not exactly in uniform at the time. The guy at the base of the tree, that's Mark Santo Stefano. He led me to the Lord. I'm up there in the tree on the right. Can you see that? I had a different color hair in those days. And uh, Mark led me to the Lord, and I got to lead another one of those guys to the Lord. And an, that guy led another one of those guys to the Lord. And there you go. That's our spiritual family tree. Folks, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's how it is. Three of us ended up in full-time Christian ministry. 
three of us ended up in full-time Christian ministry. None of us are Peter. None of us are Billy Graham. Nothing like that. It's just one ordinary guy telling a lost person about an extraordinary Savior. That's all. Not a one of us saved anyone. God saved people through us, not by us. He saved people by his grace, but he used us. Don't you want to be used that way? Folks, I'm discouraged and even depressed in this day. I feel a sense of great loss. I'm going to be 67 years old, and the America I grew up in is gone. I'm, I'm the terrible thing to say because we're supposed to encourage one another. I, f- I feel in some way that certain things are over and, it, and they're not coming back. I got all that, and I have to smack myself around a little bit and say, Stuart, you're an ambassador for Christ. What has changed? Has he changed? No. Has the gospel message changed? No. Has your calling changed? No. Folks, we have work to do. Like you, I'm waiting for November 9th and all the rest. But I want to prepare myself for whatever happens November 9th, 10th, and so on and so forth. I don't want to set myself up for despair and all the rest. Nothing of essence has really changed. God has planted us as salt and light in a very dark world which needs the preservative of the gospel message to keep society from going awry. We have work to do more than ever, and nothing has changed that. I do not want to let my emotional frame of mind hinge on vacillating circumstances which in the end are all going to vanish and pass away anyway. I want to keep the main thing the main thing. What matters for eternity are people. Every person is eternal. The question is where will each spend eternity? I want to be like John the Immerser, like Andrew, like Mark, (laughs) in helping to point people to Jesus that their eternity might be spent with him forevermore. That's your job. That's mine. I'm disgusted about what those people are doing out there. But what about us, folks? This will really get you. This will really get you. I don't want to be unduly offensive, but folks, when was the last time you spoke to anybody about the very God who saved you? I don't mean in here. I mean out there. So I put that question to me not too many months ago, and the answer I came up with was embarrassing. I'm too busy, God. I'm in here in this church, you know what I mean? And I said, I will change my ways. And so I wrote those 40 words, and I said, I'm going on the hunt. God, give me a chance. Not long after that, a UPS guy made the mistake of ringing the doorbell. And I got my first chance. Hey, I know you're busy. You guys fly around. It's amazing how you do that. You got a lot of energy. But before you go, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I just did it. He uh, exhibited little or no interest in what I had to say. He just went on his way. And I closed the door. And it was like euphoria. 
I knew I was in the right spot. That guy was diligently engaged in his job, but I was not in mine. And mine counted more than dropping off a package. There's problems out there, and part of it is because you and I have entered into a holy huddle. <laughs> and we don't want to hang with non-believers because they cuss, they drink, they dance. <laughs> but that's our job. That's our privilege. That's, that's our role. So verse 43, the next day, uh, he, that's the Lord, purposed to go into Galilee, and, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Look, if we only had John's gospel, you would think the Lord out of the blue stopped this guy at random, Philip, and said, come follow me. That's not true. When you look to the sum total of all four gospel accounts, you find out the Lord had been developing a relationship with Philip. He didn't pop the question out of the blue. That's what it looks like. No, he did not. After Philip had a chance to evaluate this special Lord Jesus, then the Lord invited him to follow him. Verse 44, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. What a town that is. Three of these guys lived in the same place. Bethsaida was their home. It was located on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Take a look at this map. Get an idea where it is here. There. See, there's the Sea of Galilee. Can you see it up on where that red thing is? That's Bethsaida. Look to the left of it is a place called Chorazin. And even further to the left, Capernaum. So on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, this fishing village, Bethsaida, was located. You know, it's one of the three cities, Chorazin, Capernaum, being the other two, where the Lord performed many of his mighty works. The scriptures tell us this. And the people in these three cities were so unresponsive. They liked the Lord's works but wanted nothing to do with his words. You know what he said to them? Good night. If I had done in other cities what I did in your hometown, they would have really responded. But because you didn't respond, I'm paraphrasing here, the Lord said, you'll be left in ruins. Want to see a prophecy that's true? Take a look at this next picture, guys, if you don't mind throwing that up there. That's Bethsaida today. What the Lord said was true. And I can show you. Pictures of Chorazin and Capernaum as well, and that's what you're going to see. Ruins. Folks, when people turn away from the light, lives end up in ruins. So verse 40, 45, Philip, so, so here, here you, you have one witness in this text, John the baptizer, who, who uh, introduced Andrew, the second witness to the Lord. Then you find out about Philip, who the Lord uh, said, follow me. And in verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel. Philip is the third witness in this text. Philip found Nathaniel. He said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Yeah. So John found Andrew. Andrew found Peter. Philip found Nathaniel. And Philip said to him, he didn't say, let me talk to you about what's in the Old Testament. They, they only had the Old Testament. He said, I want to tell you, the Hebrew Scriptures talk about our Messiah. I, I met him. <laughs> and so Philip told uh, Nathaniel about Jesus, his own Messiah. In fact, there were over 300 very precise prophecies. Did you know this? In the Old Testament, that talked to us about the coming Messiah. Over 300, even where he was born. 
And so you can hear these fellows having a conversation about how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. So in verse 46, Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So what's up with that? So um, Nathanael lived in a place called Cana. Have you ever heard of it? Cana of Galilee. And uh, it was sort of like uh, intercity competition. So the people in Cana put down the people of Nazareth and vice versa. And Nazareth was a dinky town. I mean, it's special. You know, it's significant in our minds today because of the Lord being there. But I got to tell you something. There was nothing to it. It was just a dinky old, dinky old place. And so Nathaniel's asking this question, Nazareth, can any good thing come from there? I love Philip's response. Come and see. You know, folks, you don't have to answer everyone's objection to the gospel. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know Jesus and point people to him. I really love this. Philip doesn't say, Nazareth, what are you, what are you getting? Come and see. He speaks of Jesus, and then he makes an invitation to someone to come and investigate for themselves. That's, I mean, that's his, that's his, you can't argue anyone into the faith. Have you tried to do that? You, you can't argue. You can present data. You can have an interchange, but you can't argue anyone into the faith. It's a miracle conversion, and you're not a miracle worker. That has to be produced by God's Holy Spirit in a person's life, as it was in yours. So verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit or no guile. In other words, this guy, you know, Nathanael's unsaved, but he's a genuine, sincere guy. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What does that mean, under the fig tree? In this day... When rabbis in particular were studying scripture, they used the phrase, I was under the fig tree. That's where they went, to meditate and read scripture, implying that's what Nathaniel was doing. He was searching his own scriptures, but he didn't even know who he was reading of. Maybe he was reading Isaiah 53. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Nathaniel's reading this, but he doesn't know who the him is. Boom. And he's about to meet the him right here. So verse 49, when Nathaniel finds out Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus saw him under the fig tree. Supernaturally, a mere man couldn't do this. He says this as a response in verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi... You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Prior verse, Nathaniel was referred to as an Israelite. Now he says of Jesus, you're the king of Israel, implying I'm yielding to you now. I'm looking for no other master. So Nathaniel becomes the fourth witness in this chapter. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? <laughs> You'll see greater things than these. I love that. It applies to us, folks. We've seen great things by virtue of the Lord's grace. He's revealed much to us. We will see greater things than these. I'm preaching to me right now as I'm going down into the cavern of depression and despair of what's going on in our day. I have to take these words to heart. Ah, 
you will see greater things. Folks, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, but then the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Verse 51, and he said to him, truly, truly. That's the first time the Lord says one, one word twice, truly, truly. You know what the, the word is behind that word truly? Amen. Yeah. The Lord said it at the beginning, not at the end. Amen means I'm not joking. Amen means listen up. That's what he's saying. Amen, amen. I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Have you ever read something like that, angels ascending and descending? Way back in Genesis 28, Jacob fell asleep at a place called Bethel. He had a dream. He saw a ladder extending from earth to heaven. On it, angels were ascending and descending. And the Lord Jesus is speaking to a Jewish guy here, and he's speaking to him in terms you would understand. And he would say, and so the Lord Jesus is saying, you'll see that I'm the ladder. You'll see I'm the one extending into heaven. You'll see I'm the one who brings down the riches of heaven into earth. You'll see angels ascending and descending on me. You'll see I am the one who gives you access to the riches of heaven. And he refers to himself as the son of man. See, the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Do you know the Lord referred to himself that way more than any other way? Over 80 times in the Gospels, Jesus said, I'm the son of man, son of man. You know what he's doing? But I think he's fulfilling a text way back in Daniel. You could read it sometime if you get a chance. Uh, it's Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I think he's saying, I became man to win men. I experience everything you do, but you'll never experience what is part and parcel of my nature, and that is sinlessness. It takes a sinless man to die for sinful men. That's me. That's you. So I think that's why he refers to himself as the Son of Man. So, folks, in closing, we have four people who became witnesses for Christ in this chapter. John testified, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Andrew testified, Jesus is the Messiah. Philip testified, Jesus is the one prophesied in the Old Testament. And Nathaniel testified that Jesus is the Son of God. End of story. No, unless you bring it to a premature end. Now it goes on. Stuart testified. Put your name in there. You testified. What do you know? What features about the Lord Jesus do you know? That's what you tell others about. It goes on. Chapter 1 doesn't end with the characters in chapter 1. We're in the next chapter, folks. Don't miss out on what God has for us to do while we're still here. It's our turn now to spread the wealth. It's our turn to point people to Jesus. It's our turn to multiply our lives and the lives of others. It's our turn to have a spiritual family tree. It's our turn. Don't make it hard on yourself. Take the path of least resistance. Who do you know? Who do you hang with? What activities can you be engaged in with others? So they have a chance to look at your life. You're not so special, but Jesus in you makes a difference. Let people see. Let them ask of you what I asked of Mark. What makes you tick? And then you'll say, I've been wanting to share with you my story. And you tell them their story. You may invite them to church. That's a good thing. 
But the premier invitation is to invite them to Jesus, not to church. Invite them to Jesus. <laughs> you can bring them to church. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the, the church doesn't say we can't save anybody. Invite them to Jesus. Lord Jesus, this is our role. You've given us something to do. We're not aimless and without purpose. We have to be careful not to be enveloped by the circumstances of the day. They're not good ones. But they surely provide an opportunity for us to bring hope, shed light, be emissaries of peace, peace between God and man. Oh, God in heaven, would you make us to be as interested in winning people as you were in winning us? Lord Jesus, as we point the fingers at all those out there for the dastardly deeds they do, the lies, the immorality, and all the rest, that's what you came to save people from. And where the means you intend to use, through whom people can be saved, by your grace. Well, God in heaven, I pray you would unleash us and give us a new and fresh enthusiasm to do the work of an evangelist. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.